Well, good Thursday morning to you guys listening to the Grace 412 podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, Hopefully this series, Grave to Glory, that we've been in over the last several weeks has been a help. We are wrapping it up today, and so we'll be looking at Luke 24, where Jesus uh, ascends. He finally is about to leave. He spent 40 days on earth uh, showing himself to people, proving himself to not just the disciples, but to other followers and other people on earth at the time. And now in Luke 24, he's giving this final charge to the disciples. And so we're going to start there where it's kind of briefly mentioned, and then we're going to look at Acts 1 and sort of unpack a little bit more about uh, what it is that Jesus calls the disciples to. And so Luke chapter 24, we'll pick up in verse 50. It says, He led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass when he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. And so Jesus leads his disciples up to Bethany. He explains to them, uh, hey, remember the Holy Spirit's going to be coming. He ascends into heaven. And so that's kind of just a fly overview. But we're going to look at Acts chapter 1. And uh, before we do that, we have to remember context here, that Jesus is talking to the disciples specifically. And so um, when we look at that, we have to understand that there's uh, commands, there's calls, commissions that Jesus gives the disciples that were for them. Um, But it's also important for us to realize that there are some things that we can learn both from Jesus and what he said and from the disciples and how they respond to these calls. And so um, we actually have an outline that sort of uh, should be easy to remember. We looked at three disciplines of being a disciple that we can learn from Acts chapter 1. So we'll pick up in verse 1. It says, The former treaties I have made to the Otheopolis of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Unto the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, having seen, uh, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of these things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so this is just a basic introduction in Acts 1. Theophilus is mentioned in Luke and in Acts. It means love by God. Um, it could be a specific person. It could just be a general group of people that he's saying the loved of God. Um, either way, he's just saying, hey, this is what happened. Jesus was seen uh, infallibly provable um, evidence that he was seen for those 40 days. And now it, he brings the disciples up. And then in verse four, it says, he assembled them together with him and commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the father, which saith he, you've heard of me. And so Jesus gathers his disciples together. And these are kind of his last words to them. It's, it's his last commands to carry out. It's his last, uh, advice for them. The, the last commands to carry out the mission that he started with them just a few years before. And so you look again at verse one, uh, chapter 1 and verse 4, the command that Jesus gave. He says, don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard of me. So Jesus gets them together and he's, it's like, all right, this is what we trained for, right? This is, this is us about to go on our own. And, and it's like, are you ready? Here's, here's what I want you to do. And then one of his final commandments to the disciples is, hey, I want you to wait wait a little longer. He says, don't leave Jerusalem. I want you to stay there. I want you to pray. And I want you to wait for me to fulfill my promise to you. After all this time, they're still waiting. After 
400 years of silence between the prophets and Jesus after Jesus finally comes in 30 years before he even starts his ministry. And then and then he dies and they have to wait another few days for him to be resurrected. And they're still waiting on him to redeem the kingdom of Israel. And now he's going to leave and, and they're going to be kind of charged with the mantle. And yet they're still waiting. And if we're honest with ourselves, we uh, can get into these same seasons in our faith journey where we're waiting, where we uh, don't have that clear vision of what it is that God has for us. And he says, I want you to wait. One of the disciplines uh, of being a disciple is the discipline of waiting. We wait for God to give direction. That's not really a fun call. That's why it takes discipline. It takes self-control. It takes intentionality. Um, It's not fun. It's not exciting. Uh, It's not always the flashy thing, right? We we want the part about uh, healing power like the disciples had. We want the part about leading. We want the part about being blessed. Nobody really wants to wait, but Jesus says, I need you to know that I'm doing something here. If you remember, he had already told them this. He had already uh, prophesied this to them. In John chapter 16, he said, hey, if I don't go, the comforter can't come. But he said, when I go, the comforter will come. The Holy Spirit will come and he's going to guide you. He's going to convict the world. He's going to point people to me and I'm going to point them to my father. He said that in John chapter 16, but it goes back so much further than that. If you go back to the Old Testament, you go back to uh, Leviticus and God gave the law to Moses and, and there's all these strange things in there, right? And, and we don't want to go too far into depth that we uh, get into the weeds and get sidetracked, but it's so important for us to look back at that sometimes because he gave them this law to say, hey, you you can't be good enough. These are all the things that you would have to do to be good enough. And it was, it was standards that were impossible to reach. Uh, one of those standards was that they had different rituals about days and uh, Sabbaths and, and different things like that. And so one of those was uh, in, in Leviticus, it said, after the Sabbath, you're going to wait seven Sabbaths or seven weeks, 49 days, and then one more. And then you'll return back to the temple to offer to the Lord again. And so they had this wave offering. And then 50 days later, they would have uh, the Feast of Weeks. So you remember this now, when Jesus came in, it was Palm Sunday, that weekend he was celebrating the Passover. He was crucified, he was uh, buried uh, over Passover weekend. That was his resurrection, the wave offering. And then he was on the earth for 40 days, right? And then uh, 10 days later, there's the Feast of Weeks. Pentecost happens. All these people are gathered together again in Jerusalem, right? You understand that? They were all together. And that was when uh, Pentecost happened and thousands were saved and the Holy Spirit came upon the people. Uh, it was it was as if Jesus was continuing to fulfill the law, even in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and even in his ascension. That's why he said, hey, don't think that I've come to destroy the law. I've actually come to fulfill the law. Then if you look as the, the Old Testament goes on into the minor prophets in Joel chapter 2, he says, I'm going to pour my spirit out upon all flesh. David talks about the spirit of God falling upon God's people. And then you look in John 1. John the Baptist bursts onto the scene and he starts baptizing people. And some of the very disciples that Jesus had right there with him were initially following John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, hey, the one coming after me, I'm not even worthy of unstrapping his sandal. I baptize with water, but the one that's coming after me baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And then those people, a couple of those disciples left John the Baptist and followed Jesus. And you fast forward just a few years later and you look at Acts 1 in verse 5 and Jesus said, John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now.
Jesus is going back to what John said, back to what the Old Testament law said, back to what the prophets had said. He said, I am going to do something new in you. He said, it's actually better that I go because the comforter can come. Jesus said, remember when John the Baptist said this all that time ago? This is what I'm doing. In the wait, one of the things that we have to remember is that it's all part of the plan. God knows what he's doing. He's, he's uh, worked this out from before the foundation of the world began. We have to remember it's all part of his plan. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how uh, the picture doesn't always match the process. Uh, we, we get the picture, but then uh, we're given pieces, right? It's all pieces of a puzzle that have to come together. The disciples had to wait for the pieces to come together. In, in reality, their picture wasn't even the same as Jesus. You look at what they say in verse 6, it says this, When they therefore had come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will you now at this time restore the kingdom again to Israel? Uh, it says, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses unto me in both Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. See, our, our picture, our process isn't the same as God's process. The, the disciples had a different picture of what they wanted from Jesus. They said, we want you to restore the kingdom. And Jesus said, actually, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses. If we, if we knew what God was doing, we wouldn't need faith. If, if we understood all of his process, we wouldn't need him. If he did things the way that we wanted, then we wouldn't have to seek him for advice. We wouldn't have to seek him for direction, seek him for power, seek him for counsel, seek him for wisdom. Instead, we would do things on our own. But he says, your process is not the way of my process. Your, your ways are not my ways. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. The second thing that we have to understand uh, as a discipline of a disciple of Jesus is that we have to watch the Spirit do his work. We have to watch the Holy Spirit do his work. Jesus says, hey, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit, and then after that, you're going to be my witnesses in Jer Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. The disciples had to understand that they had no power on their own to carry out this calling. And this, the same is true for us, that we, we have no power to manufacture this on our own. Jesus said, wait for my spirit, wait for my power, and then let him do the work that only he can do. Here's the reality. There has to be a God factor in our decision-making process. You, you look at the last year in our church's culture, in our, in our uh, modern church, and the painful reality is that part of the reason that we have struggled so much is because we have taken the God factor out of our uh, local church gatherings as a whole. Um, we have become followers of people. Um, we have become followers of our processes, followers of our practices, followers of our ideas, uh, excited about our stuff and our initiatives and our plans and our programs. And we've taken God out of the equation. I'm not talking about sitting back and doing nothing and hoping for God to do something in our lives, right? I'm talking about us doing our part, but us ever being aware of the need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. See, a lot of us have crafted our lives. We've crafted our families. We've crafted our churches. We've, we've crafted uh, everything in our existence in such a way that faith is almost unnecessary, 
But understand when we when we do church that way, when we do community that way, when we do life that way, when I make my own path, when I make my own plans, when I go my own way, even when I do good things, even when I serve, even when I um, do the right thing for uh, my own attention, for my own gain, for my own benefit, I get the glory. People say, oh, Mark's such a good leader. Mark's such a good husband. Mark's such a wise man. I get the glory. But when I step out in faith, when when we live and walk by faith, when we're intentionally uh, prayerful and intentionally dependent upon Jesus, when we're open about our struggles, when we're vulnerable about our need for him, all of a sudden we get to say, look what God did. Look what God is doing. We get to make it about him. We have to remember that a successful Christian life requires us to be leaning into the spirit so that it becomes about him and not about us. John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. Um, the, the modern follower of Jesus would say the opposite. They would say, okay, now God, what I'm going to do is I have to create a following for myself because then if I increase, if I gain enough followers, then that's that many more people I can point to you. Francis Chan talks about this. He, he said uh, over in the, the church in China, the underground church, it's so interesting. He, uh, the, the, one of the leaders of the underground church in China told him, he said, uh, in, in America and in these other countries, we have this idea that the amount of influence you have is based on the number of people that know who you are, the, the amount of followers you have. He said in the underground church, it's forced us to do things the right way because uh, the more people that know who we are, the more likely it is that we're going to be shut down, that we're going to be imprisoned, that we're going to be uh, maybe even killed for our faith. So he said in the underground church, the amount of influence you have uh, is based upon, honestly, the, the the small number of people that know who you are. And he said it's brought us back to this biblical place where we say he must increase in order to make much of Jesus. I must uh lower myself. I must make little of myself. I must uh, make less of myself. He must increase and I must decrease. See, we have to do our part, but more importantly, we have to leave room for God to do his work, to do the thing that only he can do. Jesus said to the disciples, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to wait. I want you to be prayerful and my Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and then you're going to do things in his power for his glory, for my glory, right? And so you see the example of the disciples doing that as we finish this text out. Chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, also shall come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned into Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room and abode there Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judah the brother of James, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brethren uh, and with his brethren. So Jesus ascends and these uh, angels appear and they say, what are you standing around for? Do what he told you to do. And it says that they went to Jerusalem. They gathered together. Uh, they were of one accord. They were uh, in unity and they worshiped and they prayed together. The last discipline we can learn is that we work and we worship together through it all. 
they got together. It says they were of one accord. They were unified and they worshiped and they prayed together. You say, man, I, I hate this process. I hate this waiting. I hate the unknown. I hate the the uh, waiting on Jesus for direction. I, I don't know what to do next. What, is, what does this mean for me as a follower of Jesus? Well, this is the, the reality. We've all been called to unity. Uh, we've all been called to make much of Jesus, to be a people of worship, to be a people of prayer, to be a people of joy. A lot of us, we, we're waiting for the big thing from God like we talked about last week. We're waiting for the healing power he gave to the disciples. We're waiting for the influence he gave to Peter or the confidence he gave to Stephen or uh, the following that he gave to Paul. But we're uncomfortable with the waiting. Uh, we don't want to pursue unity. We aren't committed to prayer. We're not humble. We're not willing to decrease so that he could increase. The disciples, these followers of Jesus, they were committed to what it was that he called them to do. And you see that if you look back at Luke chapter four, uh, 24 and verse 52, it says, they worshiped him. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Look, they had great joy. They praised and blessed God's name in great joy before he showed them the next step. That was the next step for them, worshiping God in unity, worshiping God in joy. They were content in the wait, in the process, in the unknown. They were content. What we have to, to realize is that contentment and comfortability are not synonymous, but instead we have to, to learn to be content in the uncomfortable the wait isn't easy. The questioning isn't easy. The loss isn't easy. The isolation isn't easy. The work that we've been called to do isn't easy. That's why uh, in First in and Second Timothy, uh, Paul says to suffer as one who is uh, called. Uh, in First and Second Peter, Peter says to arm yourself with the same way of thinking as Christ, that as Christ suffered in the flesh, you be prepared to suffer in the flesh. Uh, all throughout scripture, we're, we're told to take up our cross. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow after me. We're called to bear burdens with one another. Like if we are not a bit uncomfortable, the reality is that we're probably not serving Jesus fully because uh, the call of the Christian life in the New Testament is as a follower of Jesus is to forsake our way of thinking and pursue his way of thinking. They were uh, noticeably uncomfortable, I'm sure, but they had joy. They worshiped. They were content in the uncomfortable because they realized they were right where they were supposed to be. And currently, so are you and me. We have to learn to be content in the uncomfortable. Um, one of the most important things to note as we kind of wrap this discussion up is that a lot of times we are uh, discontent and we're uncomfortable with the very things that we have previously asked God for, with the very things that we had previously desired to have from God. And so as an example, you know, I... Uh, wanted a job at Samaritan. I got that job at Samaritan, and then I wanted a job in ministry. And then I got a job in ministry, and then uh, last year, 2020 happened, and I was like, this job in ministry is not fun anymore. Emily wanted to be a stylist, and then she became a stylist, and then it was like, no, I just want to be a mom. And now we're and uh, my son has gone through a process of not wanting to sleep very well now. And there are nights when it's like, man, I'm, I'm so discontent because I'm very uncomfortable in this position. Uh, we become discontent with the very things that we used to desire. 
because they're uncomfortable because our picture doesn't match what we thought that it was going to be, right? What we pictured in our minds is different than what we actually received. But you go back and what does this have to do with anything? You go back to Acts 1 and you look at the disciples. You look at what they wanted, what they pictured, what they desired. Go back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, when they therefore were come together, they asked of Jesus saying, Lord, will you now this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? The disciples wanted Jesus to restore the kingdom of Israel. What's interesting about that is that's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't just restore the kingdom of Israel. Jesus redeemed all of creation back to himself. He didn't just restore the kingdom. He created a new one. He was doing something bigger and better than what they pictured. But just like the people on the road to Damascus, they had this idea of a conquering king coming to um, rule over the people of Israel. And Jesus said, hey, look different than what you thought, but I'm actually doing this right now. And that's why you look at verses eight and nine or seven, eight and nine. And it says, he said unto them, it is not up to you to know the times, the seasons which the father has put in his power, but you will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come to you. You'll be my witnesses in both Jerusalem, Judea, and in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. He says, listen, it's not up to you to know my exact plan, but I need you to know I'm doing something right now and I'm doing it in and through you. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be a part of the process. We can be content in the uncomfortable. We can be uh, uh, worshiping in the weight. We can find joy in the process because we understand that God has made a way for us to be used of him even in the midst of the struggle. The call for us is the same as the call for the disciples, that we would be his witnesses to the othermost parts of the earth. And so when it doesn't look like we expected, when it's uncomfortable, like the disciples, uh, I would challenge us. When, when we get into these places where we say, I don't know what to do next. I can't take this any longer. I don't know where to go. I don't know God's plan. Like the disciples, I would challenge us to learn the disciplines that we would wait for God to give direction, that we would watch the Holy Spirit do his work, and that we would work and worship together through it all. That's our prayer this week for uh, each of us as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus. We love you guys so much. Hopefully we'll talk to you again next week where we're starting a new series. We'll see you soon.